All right, welcome to Hope Vale. That is one of my favorite moments of the year for sure. They are so cute and amazing. Before you have a seat, let's go ahead and grab the hands of a few people around you. Let's have a very merry, welcoming Christmas today. Luke 1, 30 through 33. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Thanks. This is uh, the Carlson family. Uh, They didn't get introduced earlier, but uh, this is, we've just... Uh, done Advent again. This is our uh, signifying the arrival of Jesus into the world, into this time, into this season, um, and all that he brings. Um, He is our Prince of Peace, our King of Kings, and we celebrate that. Again, welcome to Hope Vale. We're glad that you have joined us here today. Um, This is the final Sunday before Christmas Eve. You'll hear more about our Christmas Eve services in just a minute. Um, But I also wanted to tell you that the following week, the 27th, we will be having services, but we'll only have two, so 9 and 10.45, and then January 3rd, the same, 9 and 10.45. We want to continue to worship in the spirit that we've been brought into uh, with the children's voices, worshiping God. We want to worship through our giving. Our ushers are going to come forward, and I will pray as we enter into this time together. God, you are so good, and your, uh, the way you provide for us um, is, is almost unfathomable at times. We can't see the fullness of your plan, but we know that you love us and you care for us um, and that you are always good. So we pray you use this offering for your glory, God, especially as we are mindful of you and what you've done um, through your son Jesus. We pray that you would, as we just sang... Um, Let your kingdom come down. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray that through our Lord Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for that promise that uh, you will come and save us. Thank you for sending your son. We give you praise and glory. We worship and adore you in Jesus.
Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Good morning again. My name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor at Hopevale. Let you set that up. Thanks. That is my favorite Christmas song right there. Uh, great singing, great job. And just so good to be here this morning. Uh, this is the week leading up to Christmas. Can you believe it? Uh, and so with Thursday fast approaching Christmas Eve, I just want to remind you about some of the details of our Christmas Eve services. So uh, this Thursday, we're going to have four services at 1, 3, 5, and 7 o'clock. Uh, they'll be identical services that run for about an hour each. Uh, children's ministries will be available during the 1, 3, and 5 o'clock services. Uh, and like we do every Christmas and East, Christmas Eve and Easter, um, we're going to do valet seating, uh, which means that uh, the auditorium doors are going to open 30 minutes before the service starts. And as everybody's lining up at those doors, valet seating means our ushers will be here to uh, just help uh, fill the auditorium from the front back and just make sure that we have uh, people in every one of these seats because uh, over the course of the four services, it really does fill up. Last year, we had a total of 3,800 people uh, over the four services, and it was spread out pretty evenly, but it makes for uh, just a very full afternoon and evening. And so we, we expect that to be quite similar again this year. And so I think the, the line we use is come early and come often is uh, what you want to keep in mind for that. So uh, the family venue will be open as well, and we'll have some additional seating in case uh, the auditorium fills up to overflowing. Uh, we've also, over the last couple of weeks, had some invite cards printed out, and those are still available at the ministry desks if you want to pick any of those up and pass out to family and friends this week. Uh, it's not too late to encourage people to uh, come and be a part of these services as we celebrate the birth of Jesus. Uh, over the years, uh, since 2010, we've been in this building as a part of those services, we've also taken a special offering that we call the Christmas Eve offering. And what this is, it's a, a special uh, offering and fund that is used throughout the year to, to bless people outside the walls of the church. And it's a uh, above and beyond offering that we take. And really, it just equips and mobilizes people from Hopevale to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus locally and globally throughout the year. Uh, this has been a really, really neat thing that has taken place over the years. Uh, it really is something where you know we encourage everybody to spend less on Christmas and uh, just prayerfully consider how you might be able to give uh, some to this offering. And I wanted to just share a couple of the stories of how this offering has been invested over this past year. And so one of those stories that comes to mind for me is uh, our Bible camp outreach project. You know, we know that we do a big Bible camp here every year, and as part of that, we do an outreach project so that the kids have an opportunity uh, to have some hands-on involvement in thinking about how to bless other people uh, in the name of Jesus. And so what we did this year, it kind of tied in with the theme of Bible camp, uh, but we bought 400 gift bags. We called them care kits for seniors. And we filled, uh, the kids decorated the bags. Uh, they wrote a handwritten uh, note of encouragement in the bag and a lot of gifts and comfort items and a devotional and things like that were placed in that bag. And the kids uh, filled and decorated about 400 of those and we distributed them to a couple of different uh, senior assisted facilities uh, here in the area. And it, it just, it blew the recipients away. Uh, it was so neat to just see the way that 
Uh, the kids were able to get involved and bless other people. And then, I mean, we were getting calls and, and cards for weeks after we distributed those with just uh, people expressing their appreciation uh, for being thought of and being cared for and being, being reminded of the fact uh, that God loves them and has not forgotten about them. So that was one of the really neat ways that Christmas Eve offering funds were used. Uh, another one was one of our outreach partners, the George family in the picture there. They minister in Mozambique, Africa. And uh, about last April, they shared with us their need for a new-to-them van so that they would have some more reliable transportation to get out uh, into some of the rural areas where there are churches so that they could help train and equip the leaders of those churches. And so they had reached out to all of their supporters and asked for help raising, fundraising this van. And one of the things that they said later was that, you know, when, at first when they put that ask out, it felt so big. Like, are you kidding me? You know, this will never, never come to be. We'll never get this van. Uh, but in that, you know, God just showed up in a pretty incredible way in their lives to just demonstrate his faithfulness, his goodness, and the way that he provides beyond what they could imagine. And so uh, Christmas Eve offering funds were able to make a, a contribution towards that van. Uh, the van was purchased. And then this is just a, a picture that they sent of uh, their family expressing their thanks to Hopevale for being a part of that. And they said that in that, you know, just the way that uh, their kids had a front row seat to see the way that God provided for them was just uh, really, really neat for them. Uh, and then finally, um, I shared a little bit of this last week, but we've got many, many community groups right now just blessing people uh, in this area, just kind of through the natural pathways of their lives. And the Grunwell group, uh, they've, they've done the same thing this past week. They've identified a couple of families in need and just chosen to go uh, above and beyond out of their way to make some meals for them, uh, to get them some gift cards for groceries and things like that, to just express the love of God for those families in very practical ways. And uh, those stories have been replicated over and over again. Uh, over the course of the last year, there have been 91 projects that the Christmas Eve offering has accomplished over the year. And so, you know, it's one of those things where we don't often take a lot of time to share uh, the stories because we don't want it to come across as though we're patting ourselves on the back for this. But I think it is important to just take a minute to recognize that uh, the funds that are given at the Christmas Eve offering, you know, really are used by God in some special ways to equip our people to go out and be the hands and feet uh, of Christ uh, to other people and, and to just bring him glory in that fashion. And so as you come and consider giving to the Christmas Eve offering this year, uh, we have envelopes available in the lobby at the ministry desks that you can pick up. Uh, there's also an online giving option uh, that is accessible to you through the website as well. Uh, so again, thank you for, uh, for listening to all that. I know it's a lot of information to take in, uh, but we're just very excited about this week and just all the different ways that we're going to have to come and celebrate uh, the way that, that God, through Christ, has come to this earth to make an eternal difference for us. So we look forward to seeing you on Thursday. Thanks, Adam. Um, my name is Pastor Sam. I'm uh, the Next Gen Ministries pastor. And what that means, if you're like, what is that? Um, I, I basically oversee all of our, our kids and all of our students, everybody from birth all the way up through college ministry. So I get to to work with the people who get to work with all these little kids back here. It's just, it's awesome to be able to see that 
right? Like all the little kids sing, and just ah, it's just exciting. Um, my my kids are are not in, into choir, so um, <laughs> that's just their thing. Um, but anyway. Christmas is right around the corner. It's so exciting to talk about Christmas Eve services because, like, when we started planning these, it was, like, August, September, and we're like, oh, it's so far away. And, like, it felt like that was yesterday. And, like, here we are, and Christmas Eve is Thursday. That's, that's really hard to believe. And Christmas is Friday. And I'm, I'm somebody, I don't know if you're like me, but I'm somebody who absolutely loves the Christmas season. Like, if someone asks you, like, what's your favorite holiday? Mine has always been Christmas. Um, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. Maybe it's the music, the, the lights, the decorations, the, uh, the feeling of anticipation of, with, for my kids. They're like, oh, you know, Christmas is coming. And it reminds me of when I was a little kid and I started, you know, feeling that. And I just, I see that on my kids' faces. And I, one of the things that I, I absolutely love about the Christmas season, though, with all that, is the Christmas movies. I just, I'm, I just love a good Christmas movie. And maybe you do, you do too. So here's what I want to do. Just for like a couple seconds here, I want you to, to turn to someone around you. Maybe you don't have someone next to you, but someone behind you. For, and just tell them what your favorite Christmas movie is, okay? I'm going to say go, and you're going to do that, okay? And ready? One, two, three, go. Just tell them what your favorite Christmas movie is. All right, we don't have to go into detail of what they, what's the plot line and all that stuff, just the name of the movie, right? <laughs> all right, there are, listen, there, there are so many good Christmas movies. I could hear like plot lines going like, I remember this, I remember this, I remember this. Oh, yeah, me too. Uh, Christmas movie just kind of draws together. There are so many good Christmas movies from classics like It's a Wonderful Life to White Christmas. I love watching White Christmas. It reminds me of when I was a kid. My mom used to watch it all the time. And I was like, that's so cool, you know? Um, Christmas Carol, both regular and Muppet edition, right? Um, and then Miracle on 34th Street. I love that movie. And I'll, even the old one, you know, pull, he, she pulls on the Santa Claus beard. And he goes, go ahead, give it a tug. You know, I, I love that, that movie. From all of those classics to, to nowadays holiday hits like Home Alone 1 and 2, not three, and I think we know why. Because um, the kid isn't in it, right? It's just this, they, you got to stop somewhere. Um, Santa Claus, one, two, three. I'm glad they ended up stopping at the trilogy. Because um, if they kept going, it would have been crazy. Um, Jingle All the Way, Who Knew Terminator Did Christmas? I mean, there's that one. Christmas Story, that's one of my favorite Christmas movies. Um, ever since I was a little kid, you'll shoot your eye. I loved that. I mean, I... Just absolutely love Christmas story. Uh, Christmas vacation. You can't forget Elf. I mean, that's a great, great Christmas movie. Christmas with the Cranks. That's one of my wife's favorite Christmas movies. Uh, just absolutely love how they, they act in that. The Grinch with Jim Carrey. You know, all these really good holiday hit movies. Um, not to mention all of the sappy love story Christmas movies, which I just don't have time to talk about right now. Um, to the, the cartoons. You can't forget the cartoons, right? Like Frosty the Snowman, Charlie Brown Christmas, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. I mean, I just, I, I love all of these Christmas movies. And there are a lot of movies. I know I'm probably forgetting some. I'm probably forgetting your favorite. But hey, you got a chance to talk about that. So that's okay. At least it was mentioned at some point this morning. And who could forget the newest Christmas movie that's outranked them all this year? Star Wars. Um <laughs> I, hey, at least there was snow in the movie. I mean, like, we're going to get, it's going to be 60 degrees on Wednesday. Like, 
beginning to look not... I, anyway, um, I know some of you haven't seen it yet, so I'm going to do my best not to spoil anything about it, except... I'm just kidding. Um, there's someone in the tech booth who'd be really mad at me if I were to share some stuff. I was like, we, I went and saw it Thursday night, and I got there like at 4.30 for a 7 o'clock showing, because I was like, yeah, oh, I'm going to beat the crowd. There was like three people in the theater. I'm just sitting there all by myself, like... I'm ready for, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. I'm not going to talk about Star Wars. Anyway, um, one of the classic movies, though, for Christmas, not Star Wars, actually has some deeper meaning to it if you, if you think about it. It's this one, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, my kids love this movie. We, we watch it, and they're like glued to the TV for some reason. Now, on the surface, if you think about this movie and the song, whatever, it's all about this problem of, in the song it says foggy, but then the movie they decide to go with this snowpocalypse theme. Um, this type of Christmas Eve, Santa can't deliver the presents, and our hero, this little reindeer with a nose that, that blinds you like a flashlight in the dark room, he, he comes to rescue and saves Christmas. And it's like, ah, oh, here's this. And on the surface, that's what the story's about. That's what the song is about. But if you dig a little deeper into the story, as you watch it unfold in the movie, what we are going to find is that there are actually two story arcs to follow. There's Rudolph's, this reindeer, but then there's this elf. And that's not Buddy the elf, okay? That, that's Herbie the elf. And, and Herbie is, is this elf that he's not feeling fulfilled in what he does as an elf to make toys. In fact, what he wants to do is he's got these dreams of becoming a dentist, I always thought that was weird as a kid, like, who wants a dentist? Well, anyway, you get to make toys or be a dentist, but he wants to be a dentist. And, and because of Rudolph's deformity and because of Herbie's lack of fitting in with the rest of the elves, they both find themselves labeled as misfits and on the outskirts of society. And so they end up meeting up in this story, and they, they both have a little song and dance number about being a misfit. They identify themselves as that. They realize they don't fit in, and they run away together. And they eventually cross paths with this adventurer named Yukon Cornelius that leads them to this place called the Island of Misfit Toys. And the, and the reason they even go there is because they're escaping the dreaded abominable snow monster. And I just remember thinking this as a kid, thinking, this is just getting worse and worse and worse. What in the world? It's like Rudolph, and then here's the song. And like, where did the snow monster come from? But apparently that's a part of the story too. And so they're running away from this. And they, so they get to this island called the Island of Misfit Toys, and this island is a place where the rest of the rejected misfit toys go to find solace. And they're all there together, and, and they've all congregated together. And so Rudolph and Herbie go up and say, can we, we're misfits too, can we stay here? And they get rejected, and they say, no, you can't stay here. So they become misfits among the misfits. And so you start feeling more and more sad for them. And so to make a long cartoon short, because I don't want to just rehash the whole plot, Herbie and Rudolph end up confronting the abominable snow monster, and Herbie uses his dentistry skills to remove the monster's teeth, and Rudolph becomes useful to Santa with his nose so bright, and they both save Christmas. What an amazing story. Credits roll, big orchestra number at the end, da, 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 you know. It's just this amazing movie, and it's a great story for kids, but it's also a great story for adults, and it actually highlights something that's huge for every single one of us in here. Here's what it highlights. You see, it's easy, especially during Christmas time, to feel just like Rudolph and just like Herbie. Because the truth is that from time to time, the description of misfit or outsider can tend to fit us, especially during this season. 
Why? Well, it's because Christmas and, and the Christmas season, it comes with these certain expectations of how you're supposed to feel, about how you're supposed to act, what's supposed to be happening, feelings of, of peace and joy and happiness, love, anticipation, togetherness, family. But oftentimes, what we feel is very contrary to that. And what we can feel is very opposite to those. I mean, we, we can literally feel like a Christmas misfit. We're like, I know I'm supposed to feel this. I know I'm supposed to think this. But, and that's, that's just not where I'm at right now. Like, like if it was a multiple choice question on a test, how are you feeling about Christmas? Peace, love, joy, and all that. I think a lot of us would go, oh, I'm going to circle D, none of the above. Because that's just not where we're at. And maybe it's the hecticness of, of life that's happening right now. Maybe it's something deeper down inside that's going on that makes you feel that way. I'm not sure what it is, but a lot of times that's how we can feel. It's like misfits, out of place, outsider. And then to top it all off, we're in this series called Promise, right? And over the past three weeks, we've looked at the promise of God to send his son Jesus into this world. A promise that he made in the Old Testament through prophets, and how that promise was fulfilled at the birth of Jesus hundreds of years later. And then we looked at the next week about how God kept a promise to this man named Simeon and this woman named Anna that they would see this promised one before they died. And God kept that promise. And then last week you we looked at how God made a special promise to a young lady named Mary. How she would conceive through the Holy Spirit and her child would be the Son of God and how that promise was kept. And, and it's easy to look at what we've been talking about in these promises and then try to match them up with your own life and feel like a complete outsider to all of this. To feel a little bit unworthy, to feel kind of like a misfit. Like, like if God really knows who I am deep down inside, I don't think he would have kept that promise to me. Like if I were the person in the story that God was making this promise to, I think maybe God might pass me over because I don't feel like I'm worth it. I don't feel like I fit into that category. Yeah, Mary, whew, she fit. Like, like Simeon, Anna, they fit. Like the, the, these Old Testament prophecies, that, that's all. But me, like I don't feel like that. I feel more like... A misfit or an outsider. Christmas just doesn't fit for me right now. But the beauty of the story of the birth of Jesus is that it speaks to this very situation. It speaks to those feelings. And so if you're here this morning and maybe Christmas doesn't feel like peace, love, joy, but feels more like a misfit for you or you feel more like an outsider in all of this or you feel like I... I just got mess in my life. I don't, this doesn't feel like where I, I should be. The birth of Jesus speaks to that. And it speaks in, to it in a very unexpected way. And so I'm going to take us to a, a very unexpected Christmas passage this morning. that you, We're going to look at, and you might on the surface go, what does that have to do and tie in with Christmas? But let me get, let me kind of walk us through there and get there. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 to 16, and we're actually going to look at the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus this morning. Now, some of you are like, we're going to do what? <laughs> yes, we're, we're literally going to read through a list of names, but I want to look at it as more than just a list of names, okay? There's, there's some deeper truth and deeper meaning behind this. So if you've got a Bible, you've got a copy of the Bible, if you've got um, a smartphone or a tablet or something, and you have access to Matthew chapter 1, open it there. So we're going to be Matthew chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1. And go all the way down to verse 16. It's also going to be up on the screens. You can read it along with, with me as I, uh, as I read. This is what it says. 
verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, there's going to be some names listed off here that maybe you're familiar with. You're like, oh, yeah, I remember that, I remember that. Um, But we're going to just kind of trek through this story and then go back into these names, okay? So here it is, verse 2. Let's get our track shoes on. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon or Salmon. I like the fish, whatever. Um, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers to the time of the exile to Babylon. We're halfway there. Um, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Methan. Methan, the father of Jacob. We're almost there. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. All these names, and you're like, huh. You know, I am your father. No, I'm, I told you I wasn't going to talk about Star Wars. Anyway, um, but you, you go back through and you look at all this and you go, that is a list of names. That's great, Sam. But here's the deal. It may on the surface just look like a list of names and, and maybe you're going, well, that's a list of names just proven like to show us that Jesus is, is who he said he is. He comes from this line like he's supposed to. And that is true. Okay, that is true. The writer Matthew there, he's, he's doing that. He's writing to a predominantly Jewish audience, and he's trying to prove to them that Jesus is the Messiah by showing all of these names, and this is where Jesus comes from. Over and over again in, in the book of Matthew, he says, all the time, he says this, you know, it was written this way to prove that Jesus is who he said he is. But, but as you dig a little deeper into this list, and you start looking at the stories, it, it, something becomes very evident and becomes very obvious. And so I want to dig into some of these stories a little bit and talk about some of these people that we come in contact with in the lineage of Jesus. And so let's start right at the beginning there. Abraham. It says Abraham was the father of Isaac. Abraham was the start of of all this. God comes to Abraham. He makes a promise to him. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation and a great people. Abraham and his wife Sarah They're old. They don't have any children. And God tells them, I'm going to make you a great nation. And he kind of looks at God and says, really? (laughs) But he believes that God is is telling him the truth. His wife, Sarah, kind of laughs like, I'm like 90 years old. There's no way I'm having a kid. And yet they have a son named Isaac. One of the things I think is interesting, one of the stories that's highlighted in Abraham's life, though, is he's, they're wandering through this other kingdom and there's this king who starts kind of looking at Abraham's wife, Sarah, and taking interest in her. And Abraham is is deathly afraid of this king. And so Abraham decides in that moment to lie to this king and say, well, she's not my wife. She's just my sister. Go ahead. It it is just one of these weird moments where you're reading the story and you're like, really? Like, Abraham, you believe that God was telling you the truth, going to do all this stuff, but yet this is your response. And so the whole story, the whole genealogy kind of starts off in this kind of weird way. Like, Like, he lies. Well, then he has his son Isaac. 
And Isaac, wouldn't you know it, does the exact same thing his father does. Same kind of a situation. A king starts looking at his wife and he goes, well, she's my sister. She's not my wife, so here. It's just kind of a weird thing. So Abraham, Isaac, it kind of starts off on a weird note. And then we come down to Jacob. Jacob's the third name on this list. Jacob is a very interesting story. Jacob, his name means deceiver. His name means deceiver or heel grabber. He was, he was a, a twin. He had a twin brother, Jacob, and his twin brother Esau. Esau was actually older than Jacob. Jake, it was, it's said that Jacob came out of the womb holding on to his brother's foot in, in almost a symbolic way saying, I am trying to grab onto whatever you have and I'm going to be better than you. Jacob ends up stealing his brother's birthright and his brother's blessing. In fact, Jacob's name probably shouldn't even be in this list. It should have been his brother Esau. But because Jacob was a manipulator, because Jacob was a liar, because Jacob was a thief, he ends up in this list in Jesus' lineage. What an interesting way to end up there. It's just this big mess. So here's Jacob. So Jacob has these two wives. They're both sisters. Kind of a weird story. And through them and through some other people, through some other women, he has a bunch of sons. Eleven, twelve sons. One of those sons is named Judah. And so that's the line that that God chooses to bring the Messiah through. Now, Jacob's sons are are, are very interesting because Jacob, and and he picks one of his sons, Joseph, and says, you're my favorite. Bad parenting. (laughs) Picking a son and saying, you're my favorite. Everybody else, you know. And he gives him this coat. Well, the sons all get together besides Joseph and say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to get rid of him. So they beat him up. They throw him in a pit. They take his coat. They rip it up. They put animal blood on it. They sell their brother to some passing merchants. I mean, I, I've, I've had problems with my, my sister and my kids have their problems. But selling, your, I mean, that's, that's real problems. They go back to the father. They go back to Jacob and say, an animal killed him. We're sorry. And they all have a big, you know, they, so they lie. But, I mean, talk about messed up family dynamics. Okay, and, Jay, and uh, Judah is actually a part of all of this. He takes, play, you know, he takes part in all of this. But that's not one of the most interesting stories about Judah. Actually, one of the most interesting stories about Judah is what's actually highlighted in this. Now, it says this. It says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, that's a very interesting line in this. Because they don't normally put the moms in there. Unless something, some part of the story was a little bit off or a little bit crazy. Well, here's why Tamar lines up in the story. Because here's, here's the thing. Tamar is not Judah's wife. Tamar is actually Judah's daughter-in-law. So Tamar, here's the story of what happened there. Tamar's husband was a wicked dude. He ends up dying. And, and Tamar's dead husband's brother is supposed to kind of take his place, but he says, no, I don't want to do that. And so back in those days, um, women who, who didn't have children, they felt like they were less citizens. They weren't, but they felt that way. That was the, the pressure of the culture at that time. And so Tamar comes up with this scheme to like, okay, I need to have kids. And so she ends up dressing like a prostitute. And lo and behold, Judah goes out looking for a prostitute. And they find each other. And she becomes pregnant with twins by Judah. Talk about messed up family dynamics. I mean, it's, it's a crazy story here. 
So what happens is these two twin boys, they become their own uncle. Think about that for a second. And their mother is really their sister-in-law. I, I don't, I, it's messed up from the beginning. I don't. So that's Judah, with, whose mother was Tamar. Then it go, you cut down all the way through these. There's some other interesting stories. But the next interesting story is verse 5, where it says, um, Salmon or Salmon is the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, you may be familiar with, with who Rahab is. Okay, so um, the, the Israelites go into the promised land. They, they, get, they find the, the um, city of Jericho with these huge walls. And they're like, okay, we have to take Jericho. So Joshua, the leader of the Israelite army, goes and selects two people to go in and to kind of infiltrate Jericho and see what's going on. Well, the first person they run into is Rahab. And Rahab um, befriends them, takes them in, hides them, you know, makes sure they're all taken care of. Rahab is a prostitute in Jericho. She's not Jewish, but she befriends these Jewish, two Jewish guys. She tells them as they're leaving, I know that your God has won the day, that he's going to have victory here. But when you guys come, remember me. And that's exactly what happens. You know, the story, they, the Israelites walk around the walls, they shout, they scream, they blow their trumpets, the walls come down, um, they rush in. But Rahab is spared, and Rahab just goes right along with the rest of the Jewish people, and she converts and, and follows God. I mean, just think about the significance of that. Here's Rahab. She is this prostitute from Jericho, not Jewish, and yet she ends up marrying into the lineage of Jesus. What an amazing story. So the very next one, so that's Rahab. The very next one down is, says, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, the story of Ruth is a beautiful story. It's actually, she has her own book of the Bible. Ruth was a Moabite woman, once again, not Jewish, who marries into a Jewish family, and her husband ends up dying, her father-in-law ends up dying, and her brother-in-law ends up dying. Everything is just going wrong in Ruth's life. And so all that's left is her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, and Naomi looks at Ruth and says, you can just go, you're young, you can go find another husband, you know, live your life. And Ruth looks at Naomi and says, no, I'm going to follow you, I'm going to go with you. There's nothing for me here, I'm going to go back with you, and I'm going to follow your God, your God's going to be my God. And so Ruth comes into this story as a complete outsider. And yet, Boaz comes along, and Boaz finds her and marries her, and now she is in the lineage of Jesus. What an amazing thing. This outsider woman becomes a main part of the story. It's beautiful. Well, then you go down a little bit further and you see Jesse. He's the father of King David. Now you see King David, you're like, oh, David, he was awesome. David was the king that Israel needed. You know, Saul was the king, but he was rejected and David was brought up. And David was a this amazing king, he's called a man after God's own heart. But then you read this little kind of tagline, and I think this is Matthew kind of getting a little dig in here, but it's also Matthew showing us the love of God and the grace and mercy of God, because look what it says here. It says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Now, okay, so he could have just put, you know, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, but I think he wanted to help us understand something big about this moment. See, Solomon's mother was Bathsheba, the one who who David had an adulterous extramarital affair with. And to cover up the pregnancy that happened as a result of that, David asked his general of his army to, to put Uriah out on the front lines and make it look like an accident. 
And he ends up swooping in and saying, oh, I'm going to be the hero in this story now. Because look, the, you know, her husband died and I'm going to come in and rescue her. And he tries to look like the hero, but eventually gets found out to be a fraud. And so even David, someone who's like, oh, this is a great picture of this. He ends up being this messed up character who has a messed up family. And through all of this mess, here's Solomon. Now the, the baby that, w- that came out of that whole situation ended up dying. But later on, Bathsheba and David have Solomon. And that's who God decides is going to carry on this lineage of the Messiah. And then you get to Solomon. Solomon has his own problems because Solomon's a womanizer. He's got like 700 wives and 300 mistresses. <laughs> I was telling my wife this week, we were talking about this, and I said, you know, I, one's enough. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> like, I have my own issue. But anyway, 700 and 300, it's just like, wow, you know, but he's in the lineage of Jesus. Wisest king ever, but has a problem. Then you get to his boys. I mean, talk about problems. Okay, so he has this son, Rehoboam, but he also has this other son, Jeroboam. Rehoboam is like, I'm the king. And Jeroboam goes, no, you're not. I'm the king. And they have this big inner family dispute between brothers, and they end up splitting the kingdom in half, north and south. And they each go their own direction. And from there, the rest of this lineage goes through the goes through Rehoboam's, but because Jeroboam does what he does, the, the nation gets split in half and crazy things start happening. There's good kings, there's bad kings after that. It goes all the way through. I could spend like a lot of time walking. All the, I'm not going to do that. I just wanted you to see something really, really important through all of this, that, that out of this mess comes Jesus. It's not like this, Jesus' lineage is this like pristine, beautiful, like, oh yeah, boy, this, oh yeah, this makes sense, and this makes sense, this makes sense. It's like once you start digging into this, you go, this is a, this is a big mess. There's, there's, there's mess all over the place here. There's a bunch of misfits in this story. There are a ton of outsiders who don't really fit the description, and how is God going to bring out of all of this the Messiah. How's God going to make this thing work? But the beautiful mess that is Jesus' lineage shows us something very important. It shows us this. It's that Jesus came from a line of imperfect, messed up misfits to ultimately save a world full of imperfect, messed up misfits. That as you dig into this, this story, as you dig into this lineage, you start to realize, wow, this world is messed up. This line is messed up. And we start to, start to see ourselves and go, wait, oh, I'm, I'm kind of messed up too, so I can identify with a lot of this. Like, wow. And here's Jesus. He comes to end all of the mess. He is God's son born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. He is God and man altogether. I'm not sure completely how that works, but he is. Ending off this lineage, saying this, there's no more mess in this. But he comes to save a world that's full of the mess and the imperfection and the misfits that are found in his own lineage. I mean, think about, think about this for a second. In the Christmas story, who did God share the birth of his son with first. The very next thing that we see in the story after Jesus is born is that he's, God is, is sharing the news with some people. The very first one is the shepherds. 
He shares the news. He says, you know, my son has been born. Go see him. Shepherds were societal outcasts. They were not the people who everyone thought should have been there, but they were there because God wanted to share his son with them. They were the misfits. They were the messed up people. They were, they were the least likely to be there. The next people we see in the story that get to, to experience the Son of God are the Magi. And they're the religious outsiders. They, they should never have been a part of the story, and yet God chose to reveal his Son to them to make them a part of the story. And as you start to read through the life of Jesus, what you start to, to see is that as he ministered to people, he said some crazy things that line up exactly with this. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. He said things like, it's the sick who need a doctor, not the well. I've come for those kind of people. See, Jesus came from this line of imperfect, messed up misfits to save a world full of imperfect, messed up misfits. And here's what's so amazing about this. What's so amazing about it is that the Bible declares over and over again that all of us, me, you included, we are all imperfect, messed up misfits. We all fit that description. Romans 3.10 says it like this, there's no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3.23 says this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, me, you included, we all fit that category of misfit. That's why when we watch a movie like Rudolph, we we tend to identify with those characters. Like, I, I get it. I know what that feels like. Every single one of us fits that category. So this promise... The Messiah, Jesus, the promise that we've been talking about these past few weeks, it's for everyone. You and me included. Jesus came from a line of imperfect, messed up misfits to save you and me. A world full of misfits. So this promise of Jesus, what Christmas is all about, it's for you and for me. It's for you. And, it's, it's, and what I, I think I struggle with sometimes is I, I, I can get, get that. I understand that. Like, it's for me. But it's also for everyone who fits this category. For everyone you come in contact with. The promise of Christmas is for them too. So I started asking myself, okay, so as I read through this, what do you do with this? What am I supposed to do with this promise? And what am I supposed to do with the fact that Jesus came from these kind of people for these kind of people? And I think the overwhelming response were two things. Number one, we need to accept the promise first and foremost. Maybe you're here this morning and you, you're like, I'm not sure what to do with Jesus. <laughs> Hear about him, you see the manger scene, you, you do all that, but, but maybe you have never come face to face with what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and never have come face to face with what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, to, to acknowledge your need for a Savior, to acknowledge your need for the, all that mess in your life to be forgiven. And so God offers at the Christmas season this redemptive thing, this, this restoring your relationship back to God moment when he says, here's my son, and eventually he's going to die on a cross to forgive you of all of that mess and all that sin in your life. And he, all he says is, I want you to accept that. Accept it for yourself. Accept that promise. And so maybe you're here this morning and the thing that you need to do with the promise of Christmas, the promise of Jesus, is to accept it. Or maybe you're here this morning and you've already done that. You're like, I've already, I have a relationship with Christ. I've already accepted that. Here's what 
what, if that's you, here's what we need to do. Number two, we need to extend the promise. Extend that promise to someone else. It's really easy to get very comfortable and go, yes, the promise is for me. But that's not where it stops. God is calling us to extend that promise to somebody else. And we have a very easy, practical way that you can do that. Christmas Eve is Thursday. We have four services that are designed to talk a lot about who Jesus is and to talk about the fulfillment of these promises. And we have these little invite cards that we've been talking about for the past three, four weeks. So here's a very easy way that you can extend the promise to somebody who needs to hear it. Take one of those cards and just hand it to them and say, hey, I go to Hopevale and I would love for you to come to Christmas Eve with me. Or I'd love for you even to come to Christmas Eve at all. It's an easy first step. It's an opening the door. And maybe they're like, you know what, Christmas Eve is busy. I can't do that. But at least now they've got some kind of a, a thought process to think, okay, someone actually wants me to hear about this. And they've got that card, and maybe they'll, they'll return later. But, I mean, it's a pretty simple first step in extending the promise of Jesus to somebody else. And maybe that opens a door to further conversations. That opens a door to the fact that, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to who, through something like a, a Christmas Eve service or through an Easter, they said, I came to find Christ. I came to, to find a relationship with him through something like that. We've been saying it for the past four weeks that Christmas time is one of the, the easiest invites to people to come to church, to hear about who Jesus is. So extend the promise to someone who desperately needs to hear it. Jesus came from a line of imperfect, messed up misfits to save a world of imperfect, messed up misfits for you and for me. So let's accept that promise. And let's extend that promise to somebody else this Christmas season. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the promise of your son, Jesus. God, I thank you that you used a lineup of misfit people. That you used um, all of the mess that was in that lineage to bring about your son because it shows us that you can use just about anything. And God, I, I look at myself and I see that list of you, and I identify, and I say, I, there's mess in my life. I don't fit. But God, because of Jesus, because of the promise, you said, you want me anyway. And so God, I pray for the people here this morning who may be feeling that, who may look at this list and go, I, I identify. God, I pray that they would see that Jesus came for them, and that Jesus came for people around them who are exactly the same. God, may we never forget that that is the reason that we celebrate this season is because your son came to a world that was messed up to offer hope, to offer peace, to offer love, to offer salvation, to offer forgiveness, and to offer a repaired relationship with you. So God, may we never forget that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go ahead and stand together. We're going to respond just by... Uh, joining in with that sentiment and joining in proclaiming joy to the world, the Lord has come.
Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Um, we'll see you Thursday. We're excited for Christmas Eve, but as you leave here this morning, extend the promise of Jesus and have a Merry Christmas.